Welcome to today's episode. Today we are speaking with Dr. Zane Wolf, an expert in caring science, and we are pleased that she will be spending some time talking about her views about caring science, about her instrument. It was the second instrument developed in caring science, and um, just the needs of today's healthcare environment and why caring science is so important. So I am going to turn this over to Zane to introduce herself and tell us just a little bit about what she's currently doing now. And then we will proceed to talk about the past work and current research she's doing. Dr. Wolf. Okay, I'm a Dean Emerita or Emeritus to be careful with the Latin at LaSalle University in Philadelphia. And I am teaching now uh, doctoral nursing students for the DNP degree. And I have taught a lot of research courses and medical surgical nursing courses and assessment courses in the past. Uh, right now, I am the editor of the International Journal for Human Caring. And what I, what I do with caring science uh, really began very early in the 80s because I went to the University of Pennsylvania for my PhD. I was teaching at LaSalle at the time. And uh, Jackie Fawcett gave me a card, and it was about the Detroit Caring Meetings, the International Association for Human Caring Meetings. And when I started to go to the Caring Meetings in Detroit, there were two of them. Madeline Leininger was there, Dolores Scott was there, and Doris Ryman. And, and they had really started this fledgling organization that has built over the decades basically attending to uh, studying caring in nursing and in healthcare. So uh, basically what I have done is to realize as I went to the caring meetings and to write some qualitative research, I realized that there was an opportunity to develop an instrument on caring. And I started out, there's like a 1986 article in I think Topics in Clinical Nursing that begins the instrument development with the items and the attached literature. Uh, and I decided to, to uh, include people, both at LaSalle and in that organization, on an instrument development paper that I wanted to publish. Uh, and so I worked on that, and the first instrument paper was out in 94, and it is literature-based, and I did factor analysis on it. And uh, I saw that there were five uh, subconcepts for caring, and I reported all those data, and it was both a patient and a nurse sample, backed up by the theory of really Gene Watson with a lot of Dolores Scott work, which is seminal work in, uh, from Western Nursing Research Journal. Her work is in the background of a lot, I think. And I remember I presented it in a, in a poster form when I went to University of Texas, San Antonio, and Gene Watson was there. And there was one instrument that was before that, and I was very much aware of that literature. There were really not many publications that had caring uh, in it at that point. And that has since, of course, not only proliferated in relation to the, to the caring measures, uh, nurse caring measures, but it also has proliferated in terms of even qualitative research and more quantitative research. And I have shared the instrument uh, without cost to anybody who has asked me about it. 
And June Larrabee asked me, and she did, I think, one of the first prediction studies uh, on it. I don't know whether you knew that, but that's mm -hmm. out there. It's a prediction study. And it's been given to over to people in over uh, 35 countries in the world. And they translate it and sometimes back translate it. If they back translate it, they then ask me to read it. And that doesn't always happen, quite frankly. And I've also done, uh, I think some, I know some work on redu reducing the CBI to fewer items. Because a lot of times in acute care and other places, people want something that's more succinct. And so there are different versions of it. And even early on, there were people from Connecticut uh, who developed the sixth version C CBI. I gave them permission and, you know, they went with it. Something that I didn't really expect. And it started out in a very small way and, and then just uh, got kind of out there, probably because of the large sample size in the 1994 publication. Right. And at that point, I changed the scaling of the items. And people have critiqued it. And that's okay. Right. Because what the science that I used in terms of theory at the time was God and Watson. And you can't kind of change that, right. I don't think, in terms of frameworks. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm still very much involved with the International Association for Human Caring, with the journal. I, I think that one of the best things to me has been meeting these fabulous people that I meet through the organization and through the meetings. The, this, the Scandinavian nurses are fabulous and very much steeped in Western philosophy and, and very interesting and beautiful thinkers, I would say. So that's when I met Katie Erickson, who is deceased now, but she has a beautiful theory on caring that a lot of the nurses from the Nordic countries have used. And I think it's, it was translated by someone who used to come to the caring conferences into English. I think there's a Nordic press in the United States that's in English. Uh, so meeting her, for example, uh, meeting our colleagues from Japan, uh, like Tatsuya Tanioka, for example, um, uh, you know, meeting people from Australia, uh, New Zealand, uh, and, and also, you know, from Europe. You see that, um, and we have an Iranian nurse on the editorial advisory board. So there have been at least one Iranian publication from that area of the world. And she's Faru Rafi, Dr. Rafi. And we've had one from adjacent countries. The first Israeli article is out and there's another one in the wind. But essentially it, it has been a joy to travel like to Scotland, to Canada, to go to the Montreal conference that Chantal Cara put on, mm -hmm. to go to Edmonton with with uh, basically uh, Colleen Makut, to go to different cities in the United States and to meet people who are interested in this that you might say is compassion and care and the need for it that we that we really need to understand more of it. Now, one of the things I'm doing right now is uh, working with a group from the American Academy of Nursing from two of the expert panels, the Theory Guided Practice and I'll say the Systems Change expert panel on looking at uh, professional practice models that have theoretical concepts in them. And if there are links 
with patient outcomes or just even with provider outcomes to address one of the new additions to the quadruple aim, the well-being of the people who are caring for the patients. So that's a, in a very early stages yeah. with a group. We just met this week on that. And that's been kind of fun really to think about, to tell you the truth. Well, we were trying, what I did to be very simplistic is that I looked at Watson Caring Science Institute and looked at their affiliate organizations. And then I looked for the images of their profession, their nursing professional practice model. And I could see that there were quality concepts and also let's say caring concepts in it. But it's gonna be broader than that. So right now, some of us are looking for models like that to analyze them. And it's not gonna be a total, I don't think, this is the concepts we're using from this particular nursing theory or framework. It's gonna be a mixture of different concepts in the professional practice model. For example, safety and quality might be in there too. And that's what I saw. By the way, in the American Academy of Nursing, the Nursing Theory Guided Practice Expert Panel is now the largest. So it seems like there's a resurgence of interest in, in nursing theories and models. And of course, there's nurseology that Peggy Chin and other stars like Jackie Fawcett have been working on. So now, did you find as you were looking at different models, are there like, um, it, was there a particular framework of care delivery that was utilized more than others, like relationship-based care or- Yes, that's there. Relationship-based uh, care is there. In fact, my my students at Virtua have, have you know, shared that with me. I have students from Virtua Health System in, uh, in New Jersey. I have had a lot of them in the DMP, but also it's also Watson. And so we're going to, we're going to see what happens with this and it will be a sampling and we're going to, we're going to look at outcomes and, uh, you know, just a kind of across the world, it's fascinating to see uh, the interest and it's, it seems to be blooming more in different countries, let's say like, like Italy, for example, a little bit in France, um, you know, in Canada, they've developed a uh, humanism theory. That's not the correct title. But because uh, en français, uh, there is no real translation to mm -hmm. caring. And when Chantal had the conference, you had to call it look caring. Okay. Right. So and it was an anglicized French thing, you know. So Zane, for our audience, the word caring in the French language does not exist. So they have to use different words to try to explain what that concept is, which makes it difficult for teaching what the concepts of caring is. Yeah, I think they uh, certainly rely on the extant literature and theories, but it is amazing to me that they are generating and building on their own theory. And Chantal has collaborated with people from Switzerland so, for example, in the journal, in International Journal for Human Caring, there are a couple articles with, with some people from Switzerland as co-authors, which is fabulous to see for me. It just is. It, and I'm sort of, I'm really excited by all of it because no matter what it is called in the language, it means that people are concerned about what the patient experiences and more so with the providers. If the quadruple aim idea, the well-being of the providers catches hold, that's a really serious kind of an idea. 
Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's exciting to see. And, you know, we're not fluent at all. At least I'm not fluent in Japanese. But when I think about it, it would be, I wish I could understand what they're writing about it. Because it really, you know, the culture does have an impact on the perception and on the languaging. So that in itself, we don't know. But I think it's all for the good, no matter what. No, it's they, all for the good. No, I, I completely agree. So tell me this in the work that you're doing on theory and the quadruple aim. How are we doing in nursing for measurement of caring and connecting that to outcome? Um, there is, I think that there are some prediction studies and people... First of all, Press Ganey took over the NDNQI in about 2014. And the NDNQI is for our audience? Yes, that is basically nurse-sensitive outcomes. And that has been around for some time now, those, those very specific nurse-sensitive outcomes. But there also, I looked into the webpage for that area, and there are a couple measures at the base of that which are nurse-centric. Okay, so let's say engagement is one of the outcomes for nursing. And we know there's a lot of, I've just started to look at the engagement literature and I've spoken to some nurse administrators and, and engagement is very important because it does have an impact on care. Uh, so I'm gonna see uh, what's out there in a different way. In addition to engagement, I'm going to look at other variables uh, that could be the um, outcomes of a prediction equation. Right. So. Well, in, in one of the studies that we did, uh, one of the challenges in studying the patient experience with HCAPs, for example, is you're not allowed to utilize the HCAPs assessment uh, without their permission. So in one of our studies, that's in the book, Using Predictive Analytics to Imp uh, Improve Healthcare Outcomes, that's the new book of mine that comes out in July of this year, Good. Wiley Good. Publishing. And it's Good. 18 studies. We uh, we look, we do right. test a framework of care called the Caring Behaviors Assurance System. So that's why I was asking if there was a particular framework you were looking at. And we did find that uh, CBAS, as we call it, does make a difference. We do test a lot of concepts in relationship-based care in this book. But right. in the one chapter, we talk about how we looked at how do five specific items from the HCAPS survey correlate to Gene Watson's caring uh, theory. So we which utilized, items did you pick? Which items did we, you pick? We used, uh, we, first of all, we had to contact the CMS and ask for permission to utilize that. We went through the IRB, of course, but the items we picked was, um, do, does my uh, nurse listen to me? Yeah. Does my nurse uh, do everything they can to control my pain? Mm -hmm. Did I, uh, was my pain well controlled? Did they teach me something new about medications mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and the side effects? And did they instruct me about discharge instructions when going yeah, home? Yeah, big deal. So those big were the deal. five. So what we found was we surveyed 200, and I think it was like 270 patients, and we gave them those five questions. Uh, we changed it to a seven-point Likert scale from the mm -hmm. four item and uh, to be consistent with the caring factor survey. And we found uh, that the uh, correlation between the 
uh, caring factor survey and those five items was 0.86 and uh, the value was less than 0.001 but we That's also did a chi-square to see if there was any difference between caring and those five questions and we found no difference and the other the last test we did is we did a factor analysis utilizing um, eigenvalues and we found that all 15 items, the 10 from the caring factor survey and the five from the age caps, all loaded as one construct. So we made the assertion wow. that, the, that the caring factor survey can be utilized as a substitute in hospital for assessing the patient experience as it relates to those five items. So we were real excited about that. We shared those results with the CMS, and they were very pleased to see this. But I was interested in your experience and your extensive research of measurement, how we are advancing um, the measurement of caring and relating that to outcomes as proposed by the quadruple. Uh, I think really I've done some uh, correlational studies on that, John. Uh, so I've done a few and they're older now. I haven't done I've done some with students. I've used the instrument with a student correlational study. I think it was cross-sectional. But basically, I think there needs to be much more work on that. And Jean has the loving kindness items that people can opt in if they want on the HCAP survey. And I have to tell you that I have been very much aware of, I have the HCAPs book over here with all the items in it, but my DNP students have really helped me to learn more. I also did a project with Fox Chase Cancer Center. They lost their um, nurse researcher who went to a, to a uh, healthcare system. And for a couple of years, I was involved with them and we created a caring protocol that was uh, modified in a certain way by elements of it that each of the acute care units in the oncology hospital focused on. And then we did look at selected um, HCAPS items, and that's in the journal, uh, the Clinical Journal of Oncology Nursing. That was kind of fun to look at that because it got me deeper into top box scores and things like that on HCAPS. So I appreciate the value that single items, John, for example, in HCAPS have in healthcare organizations because of been involved in them because of my, mostly because of my DMP students. And I did that at Fox Chase even before that. I just was a little more sensitized to it. So I think what you're doing is, is important and it'll be fun to see what happens. Really. Yeah, no, I, com I completely agree. So tell me your perspective on the measurement of caring. Do you sense that that will take hold as an important predictor of outcomes? Or do you think that it's still being viewed as a soft aspect of care and not critical like uh, pharmacotherapy or equipment or systems? I think it will take hold, but I think it's got, there will be a certain amount of resistance to it because even within the group of caring scholars early on, qualitative was more valued than measurement. And a lot more of the literature was qualitative, which is very important. I'm not going to ever put that down because it's incredibly important. Uh, I'm not sure really what's going to happen. Uh, maybe well-being, maybe quality of life as important values. One of my brothers-in-law is a uh, surgeon, 
And, you know, when he started to talk about quality of life some years ago, I thought, this is really good. And that was 15 plus years ago. And so gradually, I think ideas are taking hold. So my hope is that genes items will be used and people will celebrate the, the findings that they, where they can start to link things. And I think if there are more partnerships between PhD prepared nurses and colleagues and DNP colleagues and cl other clinically educated people like MDs, uh, that, that there'll be some good. I think that the interprofessional interdisciplinary nature of our work is not to be denied. And we've got to build into the teams more than anything. No, I completely agree. And I think your that that uh, site, website, Nurseology that you talk about, I find it fascinating that um, one of the founders in that, Dr. Jacqueline Fawcett, who is probably the most brilliant mind I know about there from a quantitative standpoint, her book, I have that in my bookcase right behind me. It is absolutely incredible her assertion of how to use mathematics um, to connect the important parts of theory um, to outcomes. But Jackie, the, Jackie taught me a pen. I had three courses. I Jackie. heard you say that. That's why I mentioned yeah, and, that. And I'm also in contact with her through the Theory Got to Practice, not to get you off that, but she is fascinating. She's absolutely fabulous. Really she nice. actually wrote the, wrote the foreword for my book. She's just fantastic. The comment that you just made about us, the PhDs and the DNPs needing to work more together, I couldn't agree with you more in that. We wrote a, ch a chapter, uh, Dr. Tara Nichols, she has, oh, yeah. a, um, she has a theory of comfort and she's a doctor of nursing practice. Um, mm -hmm. So she doesn't uh, have the entrenchment in research uh, methodologies like PhD nurses mm -hmm. like me uh, do. So one day she called me and was talking to me about her comfort theory. Well, she didn't have an elegant model to study this uh, scientifically. So we actually, um, worked with her theory and we went through nine revisions until we got a measurement model that we actually developed instruments and uh, it um, with with the phd nurse me and a dnp nurse her in clinical we were able to really come up with a it's called the nichols nelson model of comfort and it's really wonderful for the plain yeah. fact that she was able to include in there you practice what you believe. I think that's powerful. You practice what you believe. And if nurses and clinicians believe that caring matters and that becomes integrated into the care, I think like we're talking here, not only will the patient experience improve, but the outcomes will improve dramatically. So I'm encouraged by your conversation here um, Zane, that nursing is looking at this more as a body uh, nationally and connecting it with two efforts like the quadruple aim. Yeah, I think, you know, even with comfort, comfort is a very important concept, construct, whatever you want to call it, in nursing. And, you know, maybe the Cocalba instrument you could use with that instrument mm -hmm. and do a convergent validity with that. Uh, and that one's been out a while. I haven't looked at that very long, but 
the quadruple aim, I think, is something to really be considered because in in nursing and uh, leaders circles and in acute care hospitals, ideas like that pre race through pretty fast. There's an absorption of these concepts pretty fast, don't you think? Uh, explain that a little more. Zane. Well, I mean, I think that it's almost like being very current, what Flip Wilson used to call the church of what's happening now, that somehow the people pick up some of these ideas and begin to wrestle with them and work with them, and they become part of the culture pretty fast. The ideas do. And I think the well-being idea is a time that has come. And I think, you know, I've seen some articles on that. I think the one article may have come out of family medicine. And then people started to pay attention to it. It was probably on the back burner of IHI uh, for a while. But uh, to me, it's uh, incredibly important that the humanistic, compassionate, caring, caritas-oriented care that we, that we provide for patients and each other uh, works, really no, works. I completely agree. And, and the one article that I read recently about your caring behaviors inventory, your tool, and it was utilized in a structural equation model. And for our mm -hmm. audience, a structural equation model is basically a more complex mm -hmm. model of measurement. It includes more than one Mm -hmm. um, concept. So this particular article was looking at how the five dimensions of the CBI, your tool, relates to enacting spiritual care for the patient. And what they found was, they I have it written right here, they found that the assurance of human presence, one of your subscales in your CBI, mm -hmm. It was the only of the five that was a statistically significant predictor of the nurse providing spiritual care. Wow. How about that? And the uh, beta was 19.1, uh, but I won't get techni too technical uh, um, to give my the about audience. the beta coefficient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so can can you explain that? Why would that, that subscale relate to provision of spiritual care? I think just sort of being around and with people. And it. I think in one of the versions of the instrument that that particular subscale dropped out, John, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to look at the Wu and Larrabee article again. I just printed that out again because I have the file down in the garage with a lot of this stuff. But I have to tell you, too, in the study we did on the Caring Behaviors Inventory for Elders, that the spirituality item didn't it didn't load as a factor when we did the factor analysis but it makes me happy to think about that and what i would do would if it were me i'm going to look at the definition of assurance and i'm going to look at the items so i'm going to have to reflect on the items to give you a good answer the point in talking about the structural equation model is that having more complex models of measurement like that informs operationally. Yeah. So it gives more information of how we can improve practice and not just tell us a relationship between two concepts. Yeah, it makes the predictions always better. Yep, I agree. Are, and what, you know, basically healthcare works on prediction. If I do this dose, then this is going to happen. And it may not happen 100%. 
But prediction is very powerful healthcare thinking, don't you think? No, I've I completely agree. That. I've now, always said it. Correlation, oh, it's interesting, but it's just kind of hanging together. Yeah. But I think the prediction model, I think, is very important. I'm going to, I'll look at that, John. I didn't really, because of what happened today. Yeah. And get to it. Yeah, I no, had some student stuff going on too. Sure. No, it was an interesting article. Now, in your work with uh, various uh, scientists in the caring science world, um, I find that as it relates to outcomes, because I've done prediction studies in patient falls, in length of stay, in readmissions mm -hmm. for heart failure. So mm -hmm. I've done a lot of different outcomes, but I, what I find repeatedly is we measure what is available and easy that includes the patient data and the system data, but we don't measure the staff data. And it is my assertion, and I am I'm sure this is yours as well, based on our conversation, that the most important variable is the person who is delivering those medications and interacting with the system because it is their beliefs and behaviors that are making the whole system work. But we don't measure the beliefs and behaviors in a rigorous way within complex models, so we can't explain what kind of staff we really need to have. I think that's very important. I don't know how that will be transformed into hiring practices, though. Well, in in my that in my would mind, be like, interesting. In the in the book, in the book that fell, <laughs> um, we looked. We uh, have been working with Gene Watson's theory since um, about 2005. I think that's the first year I started working with her. So I've been working with this caring factor survey for about 16 years and then job satisfaction for about 21. But what we have developed is a profile of caring, we call it, and it we reduced the items from 108 to 35, and we have um, includes, we have six items for caring for self, six items for caring of the manager, four items for clarity, and 19 for job satisfaction, and then some demographics. But we did a structural equation model, and it was a very good model fit. But what we are proposing, getting to the question that you were asking or presenting just there, Zane, is it is my belief that if we can integrate the profile of caring into measurement of outcomes, I think that we can reveal, because it's my assumption and belief, that nurses who have high scores for all of those things, they can do their job socially and technically, they care for self, they have a caring manager and they have clarity. Mm -hmm. I think those are the ones that have good outcomes in contrast to those who do not have high scores. So it will um, create an argument of why caring is important because it really is a safety factor. Yeah, it is. It is. I don't think there has been much on the link between measuring caring and measuring safety outcomes either, John. I mean, you, you spoke about falls. You can speak about medication errors, which are very persistent and usually the highest. Uh, but basically, I've thought about that. I've seen a little literature on that. I haven't searched on that. But I I think you're right, because a lot of times the last sense of who's cared for you and the way they 
that you felt in response is something you carry with you when you're a patient. I mean, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to other people that that leaves a residual uh, perception or whatever you want to call it. It might restrict your your satisfaction scores on right. HCAPs, you know, when you look at some of the items. But I think I think uh, you're right. So it's going to be fascinating to see when you get the hypothesis rolling right. uh, with more of your studies. So yeah. it's kind of been now, fun huh, to think about. Now, I'm, I'm conscious of our time and we have about, I think, about eight more minutes left. But I, I do want to revisit what you shared early in our discussion, Zane. You were talking about how you were originally qualitative mm -hmm. and you had this quantitative poster that you presented. Mm -hmm. And but tell me your view on how we have evolved from a qualitative to a quantitative or have we not quite made that evolution in nursing or talk a little bit about that well, co-living, if you will. I, th I think that it is incredibly important to have qualitative studies that will basically inform our sense of what people are experiencing, to say it simplistically like phenomenology. But more than that, from the quantitative view, those kinds of uh, studies inform instrument development. So they help you with item generation and that kind of thing. Uh, I think they're always going to be, there will be a coexistence of, of both of them. One's going to inform the other. I don't think we've thought of everything either because I keep getting surprised by some of what people are thinking and writing. And, and that's, to me, the beauty of the whole business. People might combine mixed methods with qual and quant together in a study. And, and I think that I remember my, I remember being at Villanova University and kind of describing the instrument to somebody in the driveway there years and years ago. And it was like, she almost had a heart attack that I was doing this kind of thing. And it's come a long way since then mm -hmm. because there are different instruments that are solid instruments that have been developed and are being used. And there are different um, sub subscales within them, uh, like you're working on. And I think that's exciting. We're gonna age into different items with newer instruments all the time. Right. When my time's passed, there will be new and exciting instruments that help us with this. But I think there's a respect on both sides for at least the work and how it informs what's going on. I Even agree. though there might be a preference for one over the other among right. groups who study caring and nursing. Right. I mean, when I did the, the article, I guess with Nancy France uh, on the nursing theories, it was kind of fun to see how many of the theorists had um, instruments too. Just, it's kind of good to see yeah. that there's been a proliferation but I also, because I review for different journals, and I also am the editor of the International Journal for Human Caring, I see that people are working on very interesting things. And they're, they're novel thoughts, to me anyway, that they're coming up with. So that, okay. to me, is the future for all of us. And the more that we can make compassionate care, caring care, 
felt by people that we work with and also that we care for, it's going to be good because the, the worker is important in this. Oh, completely. In the delivery. And the way it's the way it's done is important. And patients pick up on that. They really yep. do pick up on that. No, nope, I agree. You know, the biocidic is not good. The yep. biocidic nurse is not it's not a good story. Yep. Uh, and even being passive is not a good story. Nope, you know, I agree. when you think of when you think about Sigurdor Halder's daughter's typology. Oh. Um Yes. It's really good work. Actually. Love, love, really good work. work. Love that work. And that, that kind of appeals to people. I remember one nurse administrator told me she got it. She liked it. Yeah. And that would be something she could share with her staff. Too. Yeah, she was keynote at our conference a couple of years ago. And uh, her, her talk about love uh, was just absolutely fantastic and inspiring. Yeah. I agree. Her work is very good. Well, Zane, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I just love That's hearing the fun. history of our organization, the uh, International Association of Human Caring. I want to give a plug for them because we're both very involved in it's a very important organization from a historical perspective uh, and a theoretical perspective and science perspective. So I uh, do want to mention that we work in that together. But thank you for your time um, today, Pleasure. Zane. This has been fantastic. John, I appreciate the time. And send me what the titles are so I can put them on my CV. You can edit Absolutely. that out. <laughs> okay. So, Zane, um, if someone wants to contact you and ask you about the CBI, your Caring Behaviors Inventory, or any of the research you've referenced, how would they get a hold of you? I think the best way is through my email at wolf like the animal at lasalle.edu. That's W O L F at L A S A L L E dot edu. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who has joined us today in our interview with Dr. Zane Wolf. And you can visit us at our website at healthcareenvironment.com. We also do have a YouTube channel, Healthcare Environment, and we have a Science of Caring podcast.